Welcome to Sam's Business Growth Show. I'm Sam Dunning, a digital marketing, sales, and business growth evangelist. Tune in and subscribe today as I'll be interviewing business leaders, experts, and entrepreneurs from around the globe. You'll be learning their story, how digital marketing has helped them along the way, and exclusive tips and insights to help you skyrocket your own business. And welcome back to a fresh episode of Sam's Business Growth Show. I'm delighted and humbled to be joined by Justin Welsh today. Justin is a small to medium business software as a service advisor, an executive mentor and operator who recently led LA-based Patient Pop from zero to $50 million in recurring revenue in just four short years. He now coaches founders to scale and salespeople to build incredible brands online, Justin puts out incredible content on LinkedIn and is a must to be following right now. Justin, a very warm welcome, sir. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Sam. Thanks for having me on, man. Really excited about it. Appreciate it, dude. So there's plenty we'd love to learn from your good self, Justin. Um, as always on this show, there's a few main things you want to learn. We'd love to learn a, a snapshot of your story, so some of the key businesses you've worked at, how you help them, um, and any lessons that you could share in terms of sales, in terms of business, and in terms of digital marketing. Um, and once we've gone through that, when we're up to the present day, um, just learn some of your digital marketing. So I'm sure there's a lot we can jump into in terms of how people can build an effective personal brand, um, how they can become known, how they can utilize LinkedIn. But we'll jump into that as we get there. So if you could give us a bit more info about yourself, sir, in terms of kind of where you're from yeah. and uh, your journey Absolutely. so far. Absolutely. So I, I came out of school in 03. Um, I graduated from the Ohio State University. I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio. Um, middle class, sort of farm town kind of parents. And, um, you know, for the first six years of my career, I pretty much failed at everything that I tried. So I had three jobs. I was fired from all three of those jobs. Um, I never hit a quota, but not only did I never hit a quota, I actually, in my first six years, never made a sale. So oh, like, I okay. whiffed, I whiffed on everything. I was really, really bad salesperson. And my, my dad had been a salesman for 41 years. He's still a salesman. And, um, you know, I was pretty bummed out and, um, I put my resume on monster and in 2009 in, in November, I got a call from a guy named Cyrus Masumi, who's a CEO and founder of a company called ZocDoc in New York city. And they were looking for a sale. They were looking for a sales hire. And, um, I went in and I was just blown away with the brilliance of the people that I interviewed with and these, the brilliance of this product. This product was game changing at the time. It was online uh, physician appointments or doctor's appointments. And, um, I interviewed there and I got the job and I started in December of 09. And this is what I kind of call like uh, the second part of my career, which was my successful part. And for some reason, like there was this intersection of things, the people, the product, the city, New York city, and like my own maturity, like all four of those things just sort of meshed at one time. And overnight uh, I became really successful. I made a sale my first day after having not made one for six years. And um, over the next, yeah, over the next five years, I would work in multiple leadership roles at ZocDoc. I worked there from 2009 to 2014. And uh, in 2015, uh, taking that experience, I was hired on as the VP of sales at a company called Patient Pop. And at that point in time, much like ZocDoc, ZocDoc was only 10 people when I joined. Patient Pop was just six people. 
And I was the VP of sales of one person, guy who referred me for the job, worked, worked for me at ZocDoc. And over the next four years, I would grow that sales team from one person to 140 people. And from their very first dollar in revenue to uh, over 50 million in recurring revenue. And right now I'm an advisor to that business and they've passed, I think, 70 million in recurring revenue. So I'm still attached to that business. And, um, you know, about a year ago, I stepped away from it full time. And I launched my own business, just Justin Welsh. I don't have a fancy business name. And I advise and consult for early stage SMB SaaS founders. And on the side, I also have a passion project. And that is I help folks in sales and marketing build really incredible personal brands online so that they can go out and thrive. And uh, th that's the way I spend my time now, advising businesses and, and helping folks build personal brands. So that, that's sort of my story. Awesome, dude. Appreciate the snapshot story. So there's, I want to dissect that a little bit, if we may. So sure. we said the first six years, I think you said you're 21 or so, um, yep. no sales. So what were you up to during those six years? And I'm guessing after being in sales roles and not selling much, that must have been a hard work. It must have been quite hard to motivate yourself and go for something new. It wasn't because I wasn't motivated. Like ah. I just was not a motive. I wasn't a motivated person. Um, I, the idea that you had to work for the rest of your life just did not resonate with me at that time. And I was, I was young. I was immature. I did a lot of partying. I did a lot of working out. I spent most of my time when I was supposed to be at work. I was a field salesperson. Like I spent it in the gym, you know, like that's just the guy I was at that time. I mean, I look back and wonder who that person was. Um, so, so for me, it was just like, I don't know, when I was working for these big corporations, the idea that I would work really hard to put a few extra pennies you know, in the CEO's pocket, just, I don't know, it never, never really resonated with me. And when I got to, to ZocDoc in 2009, the fact that I felt like I was building a business with other smart people, and I was a major part of that, the CEO knew me by first and last name, knew where I lived, everything about me knew how to motivate me. That was just so different for me, Sam. So that, that, that's how I think about sort of the first six years of my career is I just, I just wasn't motivated. I can, yeah, I can relate to that quite a lot, man, especially in my younger days. I mean, I remember being 18 years old, working in retail for a camera shop and just, just having no real motivation. Because like you say, at the time, that retail job had no sales commissions, no bonuses, no targets. So you were just on bare minimum wage. You were told to sell all this stuff, upsell all these insurance plans, all these add-ons. And it's like, what's the point? I get nothing back. Where's the motivation? I'm 18. I just want to be out with my friends drinking, partying and playing on computer games. So I can relate to that hard, man. Um, so ZocDoc, what, what changed? I mean, were they, how were they motivating you? What suddenly got yeah. this drive and kicked you up the arse, as to say? Yeah, you know, I think it started in the interview room. Um, I sat down with folks who described to me um, how other countries in the world were starting to implement online doctor's appointments. And I was like having these really high level, intelligent, strategic conversations. Be before that, I was working in these tiny towns in Ohio and in Michigan. And suddenly I'm in New York City. I'm in front of guys who have raised millions of dollars in capital. They're telling me about these grandiose dreams. They're getting me excited. They're getting pumped. And yes, it was a good compensation plan. And yes, there was motivation to sell. But all that stuff existed at my previous job. I think the biggest difference for me was building this business. I'm not money motivated. I like to make money. I'd be lying if I said I didn't, but I'm not motivated solely by money. I'm motivated by inclusion, building, responsibility, learning, development. And as a group of 10 people in some little Chinatown apartment in New York City, like no one knew what they were doing. We were all figuring it out together. And that to me was like, I don't know, that was like a drug for me, right? I was like hooked on that. So that, that's sort of what changed for me is being a part of the, 
the part of the the picture instead of being some cog in the wheel of you know five hundred thousand other employees. That was totally so really being a piece of the puzzle in terms of driving the business and and having totally. a real role to play. So I'm guessing there are quite a few lessons or tips you could share with our audience in terms of what you picked up in in the few years you're at Zocdoc, be it sales, be it business, and be it marketing, Justin. Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the biggest things that I figured out was I went from being someone who did nothing, right? I worked out, partied, to being a guy who did everything. And I took that trait with me through the rest of my career. And I call that being a doer or being an owner. And what was really interesting for me at, at ZocDoc was like, yeah, I'd make a sale, but implementation was hard. Getting the integrations to work was hard. S servicing the customers after you sold them was hard. Uh, figuring out the new pricing when we rolled out new products, that was hard. And in most businesses, that's done by someone else, right? It's like, hey, give it to the pricing guy. Hey, give it to the implementation gal, right? Like whatever. But there weren't enough people in the business to do that. So I got a chance to do everything. And when I recognized that there was an opportunity to make some changes, I started saying, hey, what if I just like, what if I turned over some more stones and found some other ways to help grow this business? What if I found a way to make our product better? What if I found a way to improve our close rates? And so without being asked, I just proactively started doing those things. I remember figuring out that like, we could put their ZocDoc URL on their voicemail and we would drive more of their voicemail traffic through their, through our system. And that was mind blowing. And I was like, oh, I thought of that. That's cool. I made that change. And like, so, so to me, I took that through the, the rest of my career where just because I was the VP of sales at, at patient pop didn't mean that I didn't, you know, go into the marketing department and try and figure out how can we be helpful, go into the customer success department and look from an external view from the salesperson's view and say, maybe I can figure something out, uh, uh, something out here. And so the biggest lesson that I learned was being an owner, like not just owning your patch or your territory, your role, but be an owner of the business and um, work cross-functionally. And I, because of that, I formed such incredible relationships, which leads me to sort of lesson number two at Stockdoc, which was your peers early in your career are future executives, right? So like the guy or gal in implementation or the person who's an entry-level customer service representative in 2009, I've got 20 people who used to be in those entry-level roles who are now chief operating officers, CEOs, founders, venture capitalists, SVPs of sales, VPs of customer success. And so like strengthening your early network, in my opinion, is one of the greatest lessons you can learn. Because in the next 10 years, all the folks that you are entry level with are going to be leaders, owners, um, superstars. And so I, I, I try and preach that to younger people that I mentor today is the people that you're working with right now, those entry level roles, those are future CEOs. So, so be present and be available and be excellent. So those were two lessons I learned at, at ZocDoc that I think I took with me. Love both of those. Love both of those. And especially one, the, the being a doer um, or being an owner. So I can relate to that again, quite a bit. When I remember a few years back, I was in a marketing startup marketing company and there was only two of us in the room. We were working in my friend's loft and we had real, no real digital presence. So it was all a case of cold calling, picking up the phone and generating business. And, and like you say, there was no account executives, no account managers. It was, I'd close the business. I'd look after the project. I'd see the project through. I'd be, I'd be the customer service, be all, all functions. I think for, for some people, that's a really useful experience because it really gives you, like you say, hands-on experience. You get to try out things yourself. You, bet, you get to see the company grow. And you get to be a big part of it. You get to see what works, what doesn't. And you're not just kind of being robotic and just doing one thing day in, day out. So I'd, I'd say that's, that's a really good point, man. Um, and the second lesson, strengthening your network. So 
have you got any tips on on how we're actually able to do that and how you how you did it justin yeah i think for me it was always assuming positive intent so um what i've found in most companies like when i'm working today is there's sort of this like you know, ooh, sales and customer success, they kind of butt heads, right? Or sales and marketing, oh, the leads aren't good enough. Oh, you're not closing strong enough, right? Like there's this, there's this natural sort of tendency um, to butt heads. And I think what you should always do is assume positive intent. So if you're in sales, assume that your, your marketing folks want to bring you the best leads possible, right? If you're in sales, assume that your implementation managers want to implement customers to the best of their ability. Assume that if you're in customer success, or marketing that your salespeople want to do the best job possible for the company. So always assume positive intent rather than assuming someone is doing something for the wrong reason. And when you assume positive intent, you start to foster these really incredible relationships because you're open to learning. You're open to putting yourself in someone else's shoes, right? And when you do that, you strengthen these cross-functional sort of relationships. I remember being really close with our head of CS at ZocDoc. I remember being really close with the people in marketing at ZocDoc. Same with PatientPop. Those people have grown gone on to be incredible leaders. And when they think back and they see who's someone who I could work with really well to lead our sales team. Well, you know what? Justin was always really easy to work with because he always asked me questions about my role. He always cared. He always peeled the onion back. He always wanted to understand what I was doing and why I was doing it. And so those things naturally opened up opportunities for me down the road. It's how I got my job at PatientPop. It's how I've landed a bunch of my advising clients is through referrals from people who have had excellent experiences with me. So I guess the takeaway is assume positive intent, try and understand someone else's role, ask a lot of questions, be curious and genuinely care. If you do those things, you are likely to be someone that they think about in the future, long into it, and you'll open up really unique and, and creative opportunities. Such a great point, man. And especially in sales or, or marketing or vice versa, it's so easy to, as, as I'm a sales rep, sales professional, it's so easy when, when inbound leads come in and they're absolute junk. It's like the, the easiest thing to do is, let's say it's 9 a.m. Sure. first thing in the morning, just say, what the heck's going on, guys? You need to qualify these leads harder. Where are you getting them from? They're absolute junk. Um, rather than just saying, thanks for sending the lead through and then having a sensible conversation about what can we do to improve and um, just looking totally. at it from a positive angle. That way you don't piss, piss everyone off and you can, you can have more genuine conversations. So I love that. Absolutely. Cool, dude. So moving forward to patient pop, it sounds like you yep. scaled that massively um, from zero to 140 employees and zero to 50 million recurring revenue, right? Mm -hmm. So that's right. give us a quick snapshot of how you made that happen because that's some huge growth. Yeah. I mean, I wish there was like a really cool and sophisticated answer around making it happen, but, um, and I don't want to, um, dumb down how challenging it is to do that. I, I think a lot of things happen. I think I got lucky, right? I think luck plays a part in a lot of people's growth sort of, um, you know, journeys. Um, I had come from that industry. So I had sold an SMB product at ZocDoc. It was 3000 bucks. I sold it to physicians. I move over to patient pop. It's 6,000 bucks. I'm selling to physicians. It's pretty much the same thing. So right away, I think coming from the same velocity, so quick selling, transactional, one-week sales cycles um, was really helpful. Uh, and then coming from a similar average contract value was really helpful. So selling okay. low-cost, high-turnaround products is something that I've, I've done in my past. And once I had established myself and said, oh, I know how to talk to physicians. I understand. Give me the product. I want to see it. I made the demonstration into my own, right? Because I knew how to sell to physicians. 
And then I went out and I found people in my network. This goes back to the thing we just talked about, which was like, rather than guess, rather than say, oh, I hope Jim or Mary is a really great salesperson that's in my, you know, in my interview room right now. I went out and I was like, hey, 30 guys and gals I used to work with at ZocDoc, you are all excellent. Want a brand new opportunity? And like they were, because I had formed such great relationships in the previous business, they were like, yeah, let's do it, man. This sounds awesome. I can be an early employee. I can get some equity. I can be part of a business building. And so what I went out and I did was I just went out and started picking from my network. Hired guys like Derek Jankowski, hired guys like Robert Palumbo, hired guys like Max Kim Brown. Like the, these guys were all folks that worked with me at ZocDoc that were monster superstars. And I brought them into the role and said, here's, here's this product. And they naturally plugged right in. So I think the first thing that I did was just hire really, really good people. Um, the second thing that I think was really helpful was, was trying to change my mindset from, you know, individual contributor or manager or director into this VP role, which I had never done. I was a first time executive. And I started to recognize that I had to continue working cross-functionally. I had to take what marketing was saying into consideration. I had to work with my peer in CS. I had to spend a lot of time strategically getting along with those folks rather than butting heads. And so that experience from ZocDoc was, was really helpful. And then last but not least, like having a really good operations professional as my right-hand man helped me install a real data-driven process at PatientPop. So we were managing the funnels. We were looking at the velocity. We were checking the contract values to see if they were going up or down. And the more we managed our data, the more I could take these really talented people and help them be even more successful. So I think it was a combination of really quality salespeople and really good like quantitative data that we sort of meshed together. And when we did that, you know, a lot of really amazing things happened that laid the foundation and we just built on top of that. Awesome, man. Well, that's, that's a good mix of things we've just gone through. And in terms of talking about the marketing funnels, talking about reviewing the data, were there particular channels that you guys had success with, be it cold calling, cold outreach, or be it digital? Yeah, absolutely. So I think our number one channel for success is what we would call like direct, direct uh, marketing. So that was, you know, PPC, social media advertising, um, anything like that. Physicians often have high intent. So they're looking to market their practices. So they might go online and search, you know, market my practice or best physician marketing or best doctor marketing. And we were really well positioned to uh, convert those into high quality opportunities. And when we did that, we had this really killer sales pitch that did a great job of uncovering their pain, showing them the behind the scenes of how marketing works, and then stitching our solution back to their pain. And I, I think that, you know, we close around 30, 35% for SMBs pretty darn strong. So um, direct was really strong. Um, and then we did a lot of really good stuff through programmatic. So we worked through a really good programmatic vendor that was local in Southern California. And I think in 2018, 91% of physicians in the United States saw a patient pop, you know, display campaign or YouTube okay. advertisement. And so we had this good, good mix of like programmatic, good mix of direct. Uh, another really, really fun channel for us was, was partner marketing. So going out and finding those commoditized products in the marketplace and allowing them to use patient pop as a differentiator. So marketing with theirs teams, doing some co-branded marketing with other companies was really helpful. I think the most challenging one will always be your cold calling. But I think we did that effectively as well. We had good return on our investment with our SDR program, but marketing definitely drove the business. Nice, man. So it sounds like inbound was, was a, had a strong part to play, be it paid ads, be it um, display-based ads, be it network marketing. And I like what you said. It sounded like you had a solid process for once you've got the paid ad lead in, 
um, you, you had a way to uncover their pain, to find out what issues they may be having at present, then customizing your solution based on the, the pain points. Is that right? Could you dive into that a little bit more? Yeah, that, that's exactly right. And Patient Pop had a bunch of different sort of parts, right? Like there's a search engine optimization part in Patient Pop. There's a website part. There's a reputation part. There's analytics. There's telemedicine. There's a bunch of different what I would call features, right, of the, of the platform. And whenever a doctor was searching for a particular feature, you know, we were typically there online with paid ads. And those paid ads drove to what I would call a relevant landing page. If someone's looking for telemedicine, they're going to end up on a telemedicine landing page. If they're looking to improve their reputation, they're going to land on a, a landing page. It's all about improving your reputation as a physician. And so when, when those leads were sent to our salespeople, we had sort of this packaged idea of what the physician was looking for what type of information of ours they had already consumed. And then we could really create a compelling presentation around that very specific pain point or feature that they were looking for. I think the reason we were so successful at that is I have this amazing relationship with my peer in the marketing department, Jared Jost. He's the, uh, I think the SVP of marketing at, at Patient Pop. And Jared and I basically sat in the same floor about 15 feet apart from one another. We talked every single day. He met with my sales development and marketing development reps on a regular basis. The sales and marketing team was, were so intertwined at Patient Pop that they almost acted as one team. And I think that's really critical and crucial uh, right now for, for companies building. And Jared co-owned the revenue number with me. So he didn't care about leads. Any marketer can get you leads, right? I get you a lead tomorrow, right? But Revenue was hard. So Jared was, was, um, was quoted and commissioned and held accountable to revenue. And therefore, we co-owned that target together. And I love that. Nice, dude. Um, you might have some good insight to share on this one without going too deep into it. So going back to the, the customizing solution, were you guys doing like live demos um, in terms of that side of things? Or was it you were giving quotes? Because what I'm always interested to know, and there's a lot of talk around this on LinkedIn and social media right now, is yep. how boring demos can be and how sales reps can just be going through slide after slide after slide after slide. The prospect falls asleep. Um, the deal doesn't get closed because you're essentially just reading off a PowerPoint. Yeah. And no, the deal just holds still. They say they want to think about it, and that's just the end of it. Um, yeah, totally. That, that sucks, right? I think we've yeah. all been through those sales pitches before. And, you know, I, I think, listen, PowerPoint slides get a bad rap. That's because people use 30 of them. And that is boring. You fall asleep. We use maybe one or two to introduce sort of our concept because we had a challenger sale concept. We wanted to take physicians from thinking about buying their product from seven different vendors and buying it from one. We're sort of like the all-in-one solution, like kind of like a HubSpot, right, for doctors. And um, so we use a slide to kind of formulate that opinion of what we think is best. But then we took them through a live personalized demonstration. We looked at their search engine optimization their website, their directory listings across the web, their reputation, anything that we could get our hands on, we, we customized. And it took, it took some time. Like I was going to say, it sounds like this yeah, quite detailed thing. Very. It took 45 minutes to prep and then probably 45 minutes to, to pitch. And that is not the best thing in the world. Um, but our close rates reflected the customization and the, in the personalization. You know, I, um, I truly believe that we would have closed around 20 or 25%, which is SMB SaaS kind of standard best practices. And we were generally depending on what quarter or what channel you looked at between 30 and 40%. And I think that's because we really spoke to them 
We, un we peeled back their website, their analytics, their search engine optimization. We showed it to them, showed them how to fix it. And then we essentially wrote a prescription, right? Because we're dealing with physicians. It's like, here's our diagnosis. Here's our prescription. Would you like to buy? And so there wasn't a whole lot of like, yeah, let me think about it. It was like, what you just showed me is really frustrating and I want to fix that. And so I want to buy that now and get that fixed. And so that's, that's sort of how we, we thought about it and, and what worked really well for us. Definitely, man. It sounds like the discovery stage for kind of uncovering those issues was a big part of that. And then 100%. awesome. And then spending the time to, to actually customize the solution properly, putting that work totally. in, which helped your conversion rates. Cool. Okay. So moving forward to, to now, you've set up on your own, right, Justin? So now you're running your own, own kind of show. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. So, so right now, uh, and it started in August of, of 2019. Um, you know, I made the decision that I wanted to spend some more time with my family and live a little bit of a different lifestyle. Um, you know, time to me, I'm, I'm 30, I'll be 39 here in a few days, but um, time to me is the new currency, right? And like making as much money as possible while also spending as much time as possible doing so just didn't resonate with me much anymore. And so I wanted a balance of good time, spend time with my family and still make really, really good money, right? I wanted to be successful. And so what I found was that there's a lot of companies who are early stage um, who are looking to scale. You know, they're at 1 million, 2 million in recurring. They want to get to that 50 million mark and they need to avoid expensive mistakes. So essentially what I act as an advisor, right? I'm, just, I'm on speed dial. Call me if you're making a clutch decision. You know, shoot me a Slack message if you need to ask something before doing it or you want to avoid making a mistake that might cost you a million bucks in two years worth of time. So I do a lot of advising. And then I also do consulting, which is essentially doing what I did for Patient Pop. They've got a product, they think they have product market fit, and they want to put it in the hands of their prospects and tell a compelling story. So I'll come in and help them tell that story. And I work with a lot of early stage businesses to get that story right so that it resonates with their prospects. And uh, that's what I spend you know, a lot of my time doing today. And um, it's a little, little less intense than you know, being a full-time operator. Sure, man. Um, and I love that phrase you said just now that time is a new currency. And um, I, I completely resonate with what you said, being able to spend time with your family and having the flexibility to do things like work from home when you need to, I'd say is, is really important. And if not more important than being able to earn a, a kind of high wage, being able to take back a good, a good salary. Obviously, you want a good amount of money, but at the same sure. time, you want to be able to spend it with your family, which I can completely agree with, um, which of course is not for everyone. But yeah, it depends on, on what motivates you. So, okay. So in terms of how you've been able to generate business for your company now, and how you've been able to build up a client list. Was that all from your previous network that we've talked about before? Or it'd be interesting to learn. I know you're yeah. um, pretty hot on LinkedIn right now. So perhaps we could have a little talk about that and how you've been able to scale your network and build it to where it is today. Sure. Um, there are three channels in which I acquire business. Um, one channel is just through my network. I'm, I'm really well networked. I spend a lot of time curating my network. I do that through my previous experience, but I also do that through LinkedIn, which is where my second channel is. Um, all, all my stuff comes inbound. I don't make outbound phone calls. I don't prospect for new business. Um, so uh, another sort of third of my business, or maybe even half, comes from LinkedIn. I'm very active on LinkedIn. You know, it's got 600 million users. You know, they're young, early stage founders uh, on, the, on the platform looking for, for guidance and help. And I like to try and be there. So each morning I, I post, I write content and I try and say something helpful um, that I think would be, you know, would resonate with early stage founders. And when I do that, um, because I've curated my network, because I've posted on a regular basis for almost two years, you know, I've grown from a couple thousand 
followers up to almost 50,000. And I have a, what I like to think of as a pretty active tribe, um, people that interact with my stuff every day. And when they do that, you know, it has network effect and it expands and founders see it. They look at my profile, they book a call on my website and, you know, I've got a new funnel. So that's a huge place for me. And then, you know, the last one, which is maybe 10% is just through the venture capital networks that I know. You know, I was fortunate enough to have really great investors at both ZocDoc and PatientPop who like the work that I did. And when they have a portfolio company that needs help, they, they send them, you know, my way. Um, but most of my stuff is through LinkedIn. And, you know, I'll tell, I'll tell people this, if you're not building a presence on LinkedIn in 2020, um, you're just missing out. You're just missing out on business. You're missing out on network opportunities. You're missing out on advancing your career. There's no better place to invest your time as a professional, in my opinion, uh, than LinkedIn. All right, Justin, perhaps we could do something different now, considering that a large portion of your, your business is coming through LinkedIn and you've, yeah. you've got a pretty, pretty solid network. Perhaps we could do something like three tips or three things you shouldn't be doing on LinkedIn and three things yeah. you definitely should be doing on LinkedIn to grow your network. Yeah, sure. Today. Totally. Let's, let's, start with, let's start with, yeah, no worries. Let's start with three that you should be doing. Um, the first thing that before you do anything is you should treat your profile like a landing page, like a sales page, right? I'll log on to people's profiles. I do coaching for this. I coach individuals on how to build a brand on LinkedIn. I'll log on and like their banner image will be like a skyline of New York City. And it's like, that's great. You live in New York City. Excellent. That tells me nothing about what you do as a business. And, and to me, you have like three seconds, right? To grab someone's attention. So your banner image should just tell people who you are, who you help and what you help them do. If you can, if you can say that, on your banner image in two seconds, then people are more likely to start moving down. And as you move down, the second thing is, you know, have a great headshot, invest in that, right? If you don't have the money to invest in that, get someone to take their, their new iPhone, take a portrait mode and edit it a little bit, right? There's always a way to do it on the cheap. If you do have some extra dollars laying around, invest in a professional headshot. And then as you go down, use their featured section as a call to action. LinkedIn has a new featured section they rolled out about a month and a half ago. And that allows you to put a CTA, a call to action there where someone can go to your website and book a call or go buy a course that you're selling or whatever your, your call to action is. So that's, that's sort of maybe one thing. The second thing is, people want to follow someone's journey that's interesting. So in order to be interesting, you have to do something interesting. So do something interesting, right? Build a business, um, hit your quota, uh, rejigger your demonstration, um, try new cold calling technique, do something that's interesting. That's number two. And then number three is talk about that. That's it. Document your journey. What did you do today? What worked? What didn't, right? What are, what's a new learning you took away? What's something that would be helpful? Because if you're going through those challenges, it is highly likely that someone else is also going through those challenges. And so people always say to me, building a personal brand has to be so difficult. Yeah, it's time consuming, but I wouldn't call it difficult. Do something interesting and talk about it. And if people want to solve the same challenge that you have, they'll follow your journey and just ask them to do that. So those are three things that I recommend. Um, Three things I don't recommend. Um, do not, uh, you know, do not connect and post or connect in a cell. So um, a lot of people like connect with me and then like 10 seconds later, I've got like a huge cold pitch in my inbox. That is just so meaningless. <laughs> Never works. I um, swear there's more and more bots coming across to you because I'm getting 10 yeah. to 20 um, requ instant requests, instant pitches. I think it's going up each day. I think there's just a lot of software out there now that they can just, people can just instant connect and instant pitch. 
super frustrating. Um, second, don't at mention me with like 50 other people on a post that's irrelevant to my business. Um, that, that's really, really frustrating. Um, and then third, treat LinkedIn like it's going to be there forever because it will be what you post. So, you know, be thoughtful, right? Be empathetic. It's not time for your political statements, right? It is a, a chance to connect with like-minded people, be thoughtful and empathetic, and foster really strong relationships. So the last one is just just use your common sense and be thoughtful because I've watched a few folks recently with given the what's going on in the world, um, really stub their toe and uh, will probably regret that. Mm. Yeah, I mean, do you think there's a line on when you should voice your opinion on LinkedIn? Yeah, I think anytime that you support people who are marginalized, you should voice your opinion. Okay, that's great. Well, I, lo I love those tips. So it sounds like the three things you should be doing was one, basically sorting out your profile, if I got that right, in terms of making sure your banner actually reflects what you do, how you can help people, sorting out a decent profile picture, so something that looks professional. And then finally, um, do things interesting and then document your journey in, in terms of the post that you're putting out. And then three things not to do, certainly not comment, uh, connect and pitch, which, yeah. <laughs> which I think, I don't think anyone likes. Um, and yeah, you might get a lead, but you probably have to do a thousand and piss off 999 people on the, on the journey. Um, right. We've got don't, um, what was point two? We had be thoughtful, use common sense. And I think there was one in, in between. Yeah. Um, point two is don't, don't tag me with 50 other people ah, that, that are it. irrelevant to my yeah, business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Nailed it. Awesome, dude. This has been great. Um, just before we wrap up, Justin, um, have you got any tips or any insights for anyone that's thinking of setting up on their own or anyone that wants to take the loop pretty sharpish? Have you got any insights that could help them in terms of their journey to growing up? Yeah, I do. I think um, a lot of people like a lot of people view folks like myself or other guys or gals who are building personal brands on LinkedIn. You might consider it like an overnight success. And I think they don't remember that two years ago, I was writing content that was getting nothing, like no one cared about that. And so um, the, the biggest tip I have is be consistent and patient. Those are the two qualities you have to have in order to build a personal brand. So consistency means creating meaningful, useful, and valuable content on a daily basis. Now, you might not be able to do it every day. Maybe you can do it three times a week. You know, take some time out to create useful and valuable content. The easiest way to do that is to, to document what you're doing and then be patient. Recognize that if you want to launch your own business, the easiest way is to give for 12 months. That's what I did. I gave for 12 months. I never asked for anything. Give, 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 give. Next year, ask. And that's what I did. I did 12 months of giving. And then the second year, I was like, hey, I've given for a long time. Here's something that I put out that costs money. And I asked people to purchase it. And people did because they supported me. They were part of my tribe. They liked my content. They felt like I had given a ton of value over a year and they were ready to support me with their hard earned dollars. And so um, that's my, my thought is be consistent, be patient, give for 12 months and, and then ask. Nice dude. That takes the 80, 20 rule to next level. I think that's, uh, sure. that's maxing out, but no, I completely get it. And it's like you say, it's the, playing the long game, adding that value and then doing the ask and, the leads will start to flow. Awesome, man. So we like to everyone. We like to ask everyone that comes on, Justin, if you could thank just one person, either dead or alive, having a positive influence on yourself and your career, who would that be and why? I would thank Cyrus Masumi, the CEO of ZocDoc. Um, he gave me an opportunity 
that I probably didn't deserve. Um, he supported me uh, when I was early on, uh, and he bought me a he bought me a single mattress when I didn't have enough money to buy one, um, which was super cool. He invested in me when I was super tired and poor and living in New York, um, and he was really, really, really hard on me, and um, that helped me develop. Uh, work ethic that I didn't have, thick skin that I didn't have, problem solving skills that I didn't have. He was tough, tough dude, you know, high expectations. Uh, but I like to think that, that that helped shape me into the type of employee and person that I am today. Fantastic, man. He sounds like a really great mentor from what you've said there. He is. Well, thanks very much for coming on, Justin. Just before we end, Tell us a bit more about yourself, the best way people can get in touch and how everybody listening or watching can connect with you. Cool. Yeah. The, there's the, the easiest way to get in contact with me is um, just Justin Welsh, W-E-L-S-H on LinkedIn, Justin S-A-A-S, Justin Sass on Twitter. Uh, or you can go to my website, theofficialjustin.com. And there's a nice personal branding section there if you're interested in figuring out how I built my LinkedIn network. Um, but you can also email me at Justin Welsh at hay.com. Thanks, Justin. And thanks everyone for tuning in to Sam's Business Growth Show, where we sit down with business leaders, experts, and entrepreneurs from around the, around the globe. We find out their story, how digital marketing has helped them along the way, and exclusive tips and insights to help you skyrocket your business. Cheers, Justin. This was great. Thanks, Sam. Had a lot of fun. Are you tired of constantly hunting for new customers? You could be missing out on regular inbound opportunities all because your website isn't on the first page of Google. Perhaps you're already spending lots of money on advertising, but your website is failing to convert all of your hard-earned visitors into a consistent flow of new customers. If you'd like to learn more about our unusual approach that brings idle clients straight to you, connect with Sam Dunning on LinkedIn or book a free 20-minute consultation via webchoiceuk.com. That's webchoiceuk.com. Subscribe today for more digital marketing, sales and business growth tips from the experts.